0: Thank you, young folks. We appreciate it. God bless you. Please turn in your Bibles this morning with me uh, to the book of Hebrews in chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. This passage of Scripture that we're reading from this morning has been such a blessing uh, to us over the years and many times... I and other preachers have taken you here in a public service and preached out of these passages of Scripture. Well, you know, it is such a well that uh, does not run dry. And I think we need to draw from it again over the next few Sundays, and I trust that the Lord will help you. And uh, I know that in my own personal life, that uh, when I need encouragement and I need um, renewal, I need strength. It's amazing how many times the Lord will drive me back to this passage and will encourage me and remind me uh, where my hope is and where my help is. And so I want you to look with me here in this passage and I'm going to read a few verses and then we're going to um, expound upon the first three verses today. And chapter number 12 in Hebrews, the Bible says in verse number 1, he says, Wherefore, seeing, he says, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. In your minds. Our Father, we ask you to bless now the reading and the preaching of your word. Lord, I pray that you'd bless me publicly as much as you have blessed me privately in meditating and studying upon these truths. I pray you'd help that child of God who came today, Lord, needing a word, uh, Lord, to encourage them and to renew their strength. May it be granted. And we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord, and in His name I pray, Amen. All right, I need you to look with me in verse number 1. Our writer lets us know, first of all, that if we are going to run the race that has been set before us, that we, number one, need to look behind us. You'll notice she says in verse 1, Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. There is in reference to the people who have come before us, who have done very well in running their race and finishing their course. And if I want to, if I want to follow somebody, I'd like to follow somebody that was an overcomer. I'm not looking for perfect people to be my examples. Now, if I can find one, I'll embrace Him. And the only one that I've found is the Lord Jesus. But I have found that there are men who have struggled, fallen, and risen again, and kept going in their race, and finished their course. And that's what I'm looking for in my life. But here, in Hebrews 12, he's referring primarily about those in Hebrews chapter number 11. He's referring to men, if you study all those men in Hebrews 11, man, you'd say, how did God use them? How in the world did the Lord even uh, ever do anything with them? Like Jacob, for example. Or uh, how about uh, Samson, for example. You scratch your head. But yet each of these possessed faith to overcome. When they were fallen, they got back up and they kept going. By faith. So there are some people to consider. And you need to consider people in your past who were faithful and who stayed by the stuff and who ran their course and finished it in your life. Now, you're not going to find many, but you'll find a few. Because when you read Hebrews 11, you're covering centuries of history. And there's only a few that come to the surface. And I believe that you look back over the, even the history of people that you've gone to church with, how many of them have stayed in church and stayed by the course And finished their course. Not a lot. But there will be a few. And the Bible says you need to look behind you. If you're going to run your race, just glance. You can't run your race looking backwards. But you can glance once in a while backwards. And you'll notice something else he says. That we're not only to look behind us, but we're to look before us. Here's what he says. He says uh, in uh, verse number 1 he said let us the last part of that verse he says let us run with patience the race that is set before us let us run the race that is set before us and by the way if you run a marathon the christian life is not a sprint it's a marathon And by the way, if you're a marathon runner, you don't get to go up to the judge and say, I'd like to run this direction, and I'd like to run this course, and I'd like to run over this way, and I'd like to avoid those hills if I can, and I'd like to stay out of those swamps if I can. The judge is going to say, listen to me, the race and the course is set before you. And if you're going to run this race, you're going to run the same course and the same set, that everyone else is running. And so you're gonna to have to understand that you're gonna to have to stay focused and stay on track. And let us run. By the way, when you get in when you get saved, whether you know it or not, you are number one in a battle. Number two, you have just signed up for a race. Now he's using this allegorically and, and as an example of in the sense that the Christian life is is going to be a struggle. When you talk about race, I don't get excited. If you tell me that we all got it, all the whole church got together after church today and we're going to have to run all the way to Cleveland. Do you realize that some marathons are much further than from here to Cleveland? Some of them are 26 30 miles long. But what if we all got up and say, hey man, we all got to run. I I would not be excited about the end of the service today. But if you told me what was on the other end of that, then I might be motivated. And that's why he says in Hebrews 12, he said the race that is set before us, you're going to have to look beyond as well. Look in verse number 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, Now, he had a course set before him, and he did not deviate from it. He said, I came to do the Father's will, and he said, I'm going to do it. And it was set before him. But notice what it says. He endured part of this. He endured the cross. He despised the shame, and it's set down at the right hand of the Father. But you notice it says, who for the joy that was set before him. I'm going to tell you something about the Lord Jesus He did not enjoy the cross, and he did not enjoy the conflict that he always ran into everywhere that he went, where people were always trying to catch him, ask him questions insincerely, always trying to trap him, always falsely accusing him, always everywhere he turned there was opposition. He wasn't enjoying that, and he certainly didn't enjoy the Garden of Gethsemane. He certainly didn't enjoy what happened to him before he died on the cross, and while he was on the cross, but he was looking beyond that. Because he knew beyond that, he had already told his men, they're going to do this to me, but I'm going to get up out of the grave. And I am going to see you on the other side. And then he told them that he was going to go see the Father. And he said, if you really loved me, you'd rejoice that I'm going to see my Father. And he did. Because he was looking beyond the race to the end of the race and the prize that was on the other side. He knew that one day He would be out of this human body, in a glorified body, and He knew that He would be seated at the right hand of the Father, never to depart from there again except to come get us. And He knew that one day He would rule on the throne of David. He knew all those things. And so sometimes to keep yourself motivated, you've got to quit uh, focusing on everything that's going on around you. You've got to see what's going to happen at the end of this thing. And Jesus did. So you've got to look behind you some people who finished it. And I thank God for some people in my life who have been faithful to the end. They, don't, they didn't know when they were going to be taken away. I think about Brother Ronnie Cooper. I think about Brother Harold Coker. Uh, I think about uh, Brother Jimmy O'Farrell. I think about uh, men who, and Miss Osborne and Brother Osborne, people who were here who endured some things and stayed by the stuff and who were nothing but a blessing Uh, to me while they were here. Now, there were times when, no doubt, a few of them could be aggravating. But uh, like Brother Coker, he knew how to pick at you. And like Brother Jimmy O'Farrell, he knew how to aggravate you. And I'm just saying, though, that those guys, they stayed with the stuff. And they're on the other side, and they're waiting on us. But you're going to have to look at these things. But let's move on real quickly. You'll notice here that he says, if you're going to run your race and finish your race... He says here in verse number 2, that you're going to have to consider the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you're not going to finish it. He says, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus. You're going to have to, look in verse number 3. You're going to have to consider Him. And that word consider is mentioned in Hebrews 3. You're to consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, the Lord Jesus. That word consider means you're to think about Him. You're to contemplate about Him. You're to examine Him. And you're to appraise Him. So when you get discouraged, do some studies on the Lord Jesus Christ. On the life of Christ. And what He accomplished for you. And then notice over in verse number 15. You also are going to have to look unto Him and you're going to have to look diligently. Diligently. That means very carefully. And consistently. And tirelessly, not lazy and not neglectful. When you are weary in this race, and you're even thinking about just stopping your race and ready to just to quit. Let me encourage you to do what the Bible says here to look unto Jesus, because He not only died for you, but also the Bible says he came to suffer as a man to understand your temptations. And to be a faithful high priest, and the Bible calls him our succorer, one who will run to our aid. And a high priest who is touched by the feeling of eye infirmities. The whole book of Hebrews is to elevate to the Jew and the Hebrew that the Lord Jesus Christ is much better than any angel that they've ever read about in the Old Testament or could see. And that He was better than Moses or Joshua or Aaron Or any law or any shadow that is mentioned in the Old Testament. That Jesus exceeds all of that. That He will help them if they will look to Him. Sometimes when you get discouraged, you look in the wrong places. And you look to the wrong people. And sometimes you'll even turn to the world. To try to give you some psychological advice. Because you think it's all a psychological issue. Or an emotional issue. Or it can be treated with medicine or drugs. And I'm not saying that there's not some help in some of those areas. What I'm telling you is, is that you need to learn to look first unto the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're really about to hit bottom, that you need to start looking at Him again. And by the way, you call out to Him. You call out to Him. You bow your knee before Him. And you watch and see if He does not respond to you by giving you some grace to help you in the time of your need. He's a living Savior. And He says you're going to have to look to Him. Now notice, in this passage here that we're looking at in verse number 2, one of the things that stands out to me in Hebrews chapter number 12 is the word endure. The word endure. He says in chapter number 12 and verse number 2 that Jesus endured the cross. And I think that if you are going to run a marathon, and that's what the Christian life is, you're going to have to endure it. There has to be some endurance. You'll notice in verse number 2, that there will be a time of where that you and I, like Jesus, will have to endure our cross. Now I need you to get that down. That has to do with your self will and in verse number 3 you're going to have to endure some contradictions the bible says of sinners that means there's going to be some people in your life who are going to oppose your christian lifestyle and the decisions that you make and the standard by which you live in And live by. It's amazing to me how that people. You tell them. Hey look I just believe the Bible. And you say well I do too. But when you get down to well here's what the Bible says. That they will actually oppose you. And contradict you. And grieve you. And vex you. Over their decisions and choices. You say well that's just a matter of interpretation. That's why we disagree. And there are places of of where we may disagree in interpretation, but there are some things that are just plain black and white, of what is right and what is wrong. And so you're going to face some of this opposition and this adversity. But you'll notice also in verse number 7, in your race that you must run, you must endure the cross, which has to do with your self-will being yielded to the Father's will, like Jesus said, Father, not my will, but thine be done. That was His cross. He had already yielded, before He was nailed to the tree, He had already yielded and said, Not my will, but thine be done. That will be your cross too. When it comes to something that maybe you may shrink back from, or you may not enjoy, and you may not want to do, but it is God's will. And you yield yourself to the Father's will. You must endure that season sometimes. And verse 3 says, you must endure the contradiction of sinners. There will be people in your life where that now it is God's will in your life versus other people's will. Who oppose the will of God. And you will find that young people. You'll find that as you sincerely want to serve the Lord. You'll run into some teenagers and they might even be in your own church. Who are playing church who really are not interested in doing the Father's will. They just carry a Bible. They don't read it. They don't believe it. They don't practice it. They just carry it. They, they, they're carrying a gun with no bullets in it. They don't plan to use it. And the Bible says here that you're going to have to endure some of that. And then verse 7, he says you're going to have to endure some chastening. Some chastening. He says in verse 7, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. And so that means that you're going to have to have the power and the faith and the resolve to withstand the hardships and the difficulties and the disappointments and the discouragements that are going to come along the way of this marathon. If you're going to continue and if you're going to remain you're going to have to deal with these things. And there are none of us who are exceptions to this. The cross, as I mentioned, is about our will and God's will. And I want to make that very clear. Verse 3, the contradictions and conflicts is about His will that violates the will of your family and your friends. And then the other one is the chastening. And this is all about God using, bringing circumstances into your life that you did not cause and you can't eliminate. And God's got you in a vice. And He is squeezing to remove some things and to improve some things in your life. And it will be grievous, not joyous. And you'll need some grace to be able to make it through it. And the Bible says here He said, Brother Rod, you're depressing me this morning. I'll encourage you before we're over. But you gotta deal with some reality. You know, one of the things that when Nehemiah went to rebuild those walls, he had to look at the reality of the situation, and you, sometimes you have to overcome discouraging truths. You have to overcome discouraging truth. Some folks do not want to deal with reality. They want to deal, they want to live in an imaginary world. But the Bible says here in Hebrews chapter number 12, and look again in verse number 1, After all the examples in biblical history, he said, look, he exhorts us in verse number one to run. Now you're going to have to want to run this race and you're going to have to run, run. You're going to have to first of all, enter the race. You enter the race by being born again into the family of God and you run, you run, And he says that you're to run it, in verse number 1 he says, with patience. With patience you're to run this race. And by the way, don't you think if you're going to start a race, you ought to run to finish the race? That's why Paul said, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. All right, now listen carefully to me. Let me give you some help along the way here about some things to look out for. Because the writer is telling us that there are some dangers we must avoid if we're going to run our race. And it has to do with what's going on in your mind. The dangers are in your mind. What happens to you mentally, emotionally, spiritually? You'll notice he says in verse number 3, he said, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied, And faint in your minds. Do you know one of the goals, according to Daniel, of the devil in the last days? Is to wear out the saints. Just wear you down. That you're like an octopus and somebody's pulling on every leg at the same time. You ever felt like that? And here he says, not to be weary, not to faint. You'll notice the word similar to that is, uh, I believe, over in um, verse number 12, where he says, Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. That's, uh, that's somebody that is declining. That word weary means to be tired. Anybody in here tired? I mean, you're just tired. You're fatigued mentally. Your patience is exhausted. How about fainting? Is there anybody in here that's close to fainting? That word fainting means you are exhausted, you are dejected, you are depressed even. And the mind is beginning to yield to discouragement on a consistent basis. You push it away, and it comes back. You push it away, and it comes back. Because you're tired. You're weary. You're growing tired of the opposition, and always it seems like, you know, if people in our lives would just do right, wouldn't life be grand? if everybody in your life would just say, you know what, I'm just going to do right in the eyes of the Lord, I'm just going to do the will of God. Let's just press on together. That would be absolutely wonderful. There's dangers to avoid. I don't want you, I don't want you, usually when somebody gets weary and mentally, and uh, they're, they're weary spiritually, and ready to faint, and they're not as active as they once were they're not um, as available as they once were because you're getting tired there's dangers to avoid here in your race I'm not saying there's not moments that you don't need to rest I'm not saying there's not moments you need does not need to take a break even the marathon warriors the iron men competitors they know that they must be hydrated and that occasionally they need a a little bit of this or that to be able to press on. I'm not saying that you don't need to renew some things in your heart and life, but I am saying that you can't get under a shade tree and stay there. You can't do that. Now notice something else. There are dangers to avoid, but number two, there are disciplines that you must apply if you're going to run your race. You'll notice he says in chapter 12, verse number 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every what? Every weight? We don't even like that word, do we? I heard Brother Travis, Brother Andy, Brother Jim in the van, uh, they were talking about uh, Brother Brian Green and uh, how much weight he and his wife have lost and how physically well they, they look. And uh, they were just uh, bragging about, and, 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 and just just excited for him, and I am too. And I looked at him in the van, and I said, you know, it's amazing to me. How many people brag on you when you lose weight? So what are they saying about you when you gain weight? Huh? What are they saying about you? It goes both ways. Oh, if you notice Sister So-and-So, she put on a few pounds. But when you say that, you say it quieter, don't you? But I have learned this. It's a whole lot easier to put on weight than it is to put off weight. Cindy and I have tried to get healthier over the past few months. And we've learned that weight's a lot harder to lose than it is to to gain. I can just look at food and calories jump all over me. <laughs> and I, I, I would be okay if I just didn't get, you know, that snack syndrome about 8 o'clock at night. And I've told Cindy, don't buy this, don't buy that. Hide it if you do. Don't let me know where it's at. Because I'm going to be like my little puppy Charlie. I'm going to be sniffing around. I'm going to be looking in the closets where you might be hiding it. And I'm going to be trying to find it. I'm going to be looking behind the refrigerator, on top of the refrigerator. I said, just get rid of it. It is so easy to gain weight. And this thing about the marathon runners, they know. And listen, you know what it is too for these marathon runners. It's not that it, it it's it's not a law that they have to abstain from anything. It is a desire to win that they say, "No, I'm going to leave my liberties over here, and I'm going to discipline myself so that it does not hinder me from running my race." It's not that I can't eat a whole bag of lays because I can i told Cindy when I've opened up a bag of them fresh yellow bag glaze. Now, we got a little dog named Charlie. All you got to do is move that bag and he comes running. And when Cindy moves a bag, I come running. I say, honey, if, I, if we have a bag of those chips, we don't right now, but I mean, if we had a bag of those chips and I get to eating in them, my hand won't stay out of the bag. And I say, honey, please, come get this bag. You understand what I'm talking about? And I'm saying that there are going to be some things in your life that you're going to have to lay aside that may be okay for you once in a while, but you can't stay at it and run your race. You just can't do it. That's not the way that it's going to work. I'm I'm just saying that it's... um, An athlete has to give up some of his liberties in order to be able to excel and go beyond the norm but i do have the liberties but everything that i can do is not always good for me to do especially if it's in excess and paul said I keep my body under subjection because he did not want to um, he didn't he, he didn't want to be a castaway and so i'm just saying that Sometimes you need to understand that there are disciplines that you must apply. And he says, you're going to have to lay lay aside some of this weight. Now, we apply weight many times to the body and, and to maybe something that you may be carrying with you. But how about, there are times when I'm weighted down with burdens. And my soul and my spirit are, I sometimes... Here, here, the last month or so, there's some things going on in my life that I can't control. I didn't cause and I can't control. I go to bed heavy hearted. And I get up heavy hearted. And you know what? That is not good for your health. you understand what I'm saying? It's not good for you. And it's because of the decisions of other people that I love and care about. It's not something that I'm doing or have done, but I can't do anything about it. And so I have to say, Lord, how am I going to deal with this? He said, son, you're going to do what the Bible says. He said, you're going to have to learn to cast your burden, and that's what it is. That weight is a burden. That weight will wear you down. That weight that's in you, Will, that those cares and those griefs, you have to look unto Jesus Christ as your Savior and as a, your Succorer and as your High Priest and say, God, I am in great need of some grace. And You'll have to go to Him in humility and you'll have to go to Him because sometimes you can't just say, okay, suck it up and tough it out. That don't always work. That's where you grow weak mentally and, and spiritually in your life. You've got to lay aside those weights. And then he mentions this besetting sin. He says, lay aside every weight and the sin which thus so easily, easily beset us. And I want to look at this from two perspectives. There's been a great great debate on what, exactly what is he talking about here. And I have my opinion on this, but let me show from both sides of the coin here. That maybe it is a personal sin that you're struggling with. Maybe it is. But I like, I liken that in my own life as the weight that I need to lay aside maybe. But that, but it may be a personal besetting sin and it is a sin that you struggle with on a consistent basis and it entangles you, it traps you, it waylays you. And he says you're going to have to, uh, Watch that and lay it aside because there are going to be some traps for you knowing your weaknesses. I think it was John Wesley, it was John Wesley's mother who taught him this about the besetting sin. This is what she said to him. She said, whatever it is that weakens your reasoning and impairs the tenderness of your conscience that obscures your sense of God's presence, or takes off the relish of spiritual things, and in short, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body and your flesh over your mind and your soul, that thing needs to be set aside. However innocent it may seem in itself, what is that sin that does so easily beset you? It could be that sin for which you do not want to be reproved for. It could be that one that you are ready to defend. It could be that one upon which your thought runs to first and the most. Whatever it is. We heard quite a bit of illustrations this week from Brother Travis about that cell phone you've got. There's a lot of traps in that cell phone. Be very careful that it does not ensnare you. I've noticed here in this passage here about this thing about besetting sin. I'll be honest with you. I really do believe it's unbelief. Because I think it is the sin. It's not a sin. It's the sin that does so easily beset you. Hebrews chapter number 3 teaches us several times in that chapter. You need to listen to the voice of God. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. And they begin number one to doubt Him. An unbelief, he calls unbelief an evil, an evil heart of unbelief, the sin of unbelief. Hebrews 11 is about believing God and you can't please Him without faith. At some point you're going to have to trust God above all your feelings, emotions, ideas, philosophies, ambitions. That goes back to you yielding your will to His And then you got friends and family always putting pressure on you to do what they want done so there can be, quote, peace in the family. And you have to oppose them because what they're wanting to do is not right. And you have to trust God and believe God in those moments and in your life because it can wear you down. I need to show you a few places before we go to the house this morning. I need you to look with me, please, real quick in 1 Timothy chapter number 1. Just a few verses. And then we 'll pray and i 'd like to gather you together this morning for a picture with me, if you would please, First Timothy chapter number one and uh, don 't you notice something here about um, about the direction. Not only are there dangers and disciplines, but there are directions that you must a direction that you must attain. It is the race that is set before you. There are people who actually have joined marathons, who won marathons, and later were stripped of their trophies and their honor because uh, they were caught cheating. There was a woman that won the 26-mile uh, Boston Marathon, and they were amazed at how that she had broke some records and come to find out, it was picked up on some cameras, that she had got in an automobile and went several miles down the road in an automobile and got out and ran the rest of her race. And so you're going to have to run your race, you've got to stay on course, and you're going to have to run it by the same rule that everybody else runs with. Paul said it in the book of Philippians. He said, I press toward the mark. And he said, you and I are supposed to walk by the same rule. And we are to obey the same book. We're to have the same philosophies about the things that matter here in this assembly. Like as if, for example, that we believe that God has preserved His Word. In a book. And that you can put in your hand. And say, this is the Word of God. And that we believe that salvation is by the imputed righteousness of Christ, by grace, through faith, not by the works of men. We believe that. That's something we don't, we can't, we can't have any shades of that. You agree? And so there's other things, but I want you to notice in 1 Timothy, uh, we had a pastor school earlier in the year that I helped in with Brother Bevan's welder, and I was honored to do so. And, um, there was a young man there, a young pastor, whom I have become dear friends with. As a matter of fact, I'm going to help him in his pastor's school later this year. His name is Brother Eric Knight. And uh, Brother Eric Knight pastors in Copper's Cove, Victory Baptist Church, doing a wonderful job, young man, just a wonderful brother in Christ. He talked as a young man to the, some of them, and, and, and he was nervous because he was, there was a lot of men there that were older than he was. But God had given him some insight. And I, I wrote down what he said. The principles that he taught there were just profound. Just simple but profound in the direction and the mess that we're in among independent Baptist churches. 1 Timothy chapter number 1, he's talking about staying on, on course. Notice in chapter number 1, and I think the title of his message was about not swerving off course. You'll notice in chapter 1 here with me in verse 3. He said, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that they might charge some, that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. Now when he got in that, that verse, he was making reference to how that among independent Baptists, that they're always wanting to know where you went to school. And what kind of degrees do you have? And they're always worried about their, that's what he referred to as their genealogies, as if that's what makes you or breaks you, where you came from. But really it's not where you came from, it's where you're going and what has God done to you. And your goal is not to carry your school's name, but to carry Christ's name wherever you go. I thought it was very good. I, I thought it went well, I, you know, among those men who sometimes want to say, where did you go to school? Where did you go to college? Verse 4 says, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying. But here's what I want you to see, that's something very profound that he said. He said, what's happening in our circles in verse number 5 is, is that many men out there are, number one, they are misrepresenting God. Now, you better hear that well because that is critical. Don't do that as a mom and dad. Do not misrepresent God at your house. What do you mean by that? Well, the Bible says in verse 5 Now, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. God is what? He is love. And what happens sometimes is is that we want to teach about how quickly God will judge somebody rather than teaching that God is long-suffering and patient and kind and gentle and very gentle and slow to anger. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't hear much of that side growing up as an independent Baptist of God. But I think you can go one side too far in any direction. But don't misrepresent God. God can be very severe. Don't leave that part out. The end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. Charity is where God says if you don't have that, when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, you're not going to get anything. He said whatever you're doing, He said you may be the best at it, but nobody can stand to be around you. How about that? You may sing better than anybody in here, but nobody, you're a porcupine. Nobody likes to be around porcupines. You might be able to teach better than anybody else can. You may be able to do some things better than any of us but you have no charity. Do you realize when God gifts you, gives you the opportunity to serve, it is so you can be a blessing and a help and a minister to other people. It's not just about getting the job done. Does that make sense to you? He said, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. And then he said the second thing, not only was it they mis- did they misrepresent God, but they misaligned people's consciences. I believe that to be true. I've had to overcome some things that I was taught as a young man. And the Bible says, out of, he says, and of a good conscience. That conscience has got to be according to the truth and according to the Word of God in its truth. About what is right, what is wrong, what bothers God, what matters to God. Because what will happen is you'll set up your own personal standards and you'll make them about what is right and what's wrong. And you need to have personal standards, but make sure that your personal standards are not the market for sin and what is sin and what's not sin in your life. Because your children may grow up and not agree with your personal standards, but they may not be sinning against God. And you may be troubling your own house. You say, well, I think everybody ought to agree with me. Well, good luck with that. Because probably most of the people in your family don't even agree with you. They just need you. For now. Verse 5 says, and he says, he says and not only do they misalign their conscience, talking about staying on track, on your race. Don't ever misrepresent God. Don't misalign your conscience. And he says, and a faith unfeigned, that means they minimize faith and how that faith pleases God. And when you read Hebrews chapter number 11 and you reflect back upon the people that God put in His, in His uh, hero column, those people had failure all written all over them, but they had faith in God. There was something about them. And you wonder sometimes how that God can use a man or a woman. It's because they have faith in God. Faith in God cannot minimize faith. I want to add one more to it. You know how preachers are when they hear something. Sort of like some of you ladies when you get a great recipe. You know, and so, you say, well, instead of you saying, I got that from Sister So-and-so, you add something to it so you can call it yours. <laughs> Notice what he says here. I want to add one, and I'm not claiming this is mine, but I want to add one more thing to this. Because Paul goes right into it. He says in verse 6, From which some having swerved. They're off track, aren't they? If they're running the race, they've gotten off track, aren't they? From which some having swerved, meaning they're misrepresenting God, they have misaligned their conscience, and they are minimizing faith, and I think they also misuse the law. And much is written in the New Testament about men using the law incorrectly. And their message is more about Moses than it is about Jesus. And the Bible says here in verse number 7, Desiring to be teachers of the law. And I love teaching out of the Old Testament, and I will and I'll continue to do so. But let's make sure that we understand that those are shadows and images of the one to come. I'm not going to teach you to look unto Moses. I'm going to teach you to look unto Jesus. And the Bible says, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. And so I'm just saying, be very careful that you don't get off track. Let's go back to our text and let's be done for this morning. Turn with me, if you would please, to Hebrews chapter 2. And let's close with this verse. We'll pray. I want you to... Understand that as you run this race, there are dangers to avoid. There are disciplines to apply. And there is a direction to maintain. But also there is a devotion to maintain. And that is, you must keep your eyes on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've heard that statement that used to sell a lot of bracelets. What would Jesus do? WWJD. How about you looking back in your Bible and saying, What did Jesus do? Not what would He do, but what did He do? And follow His steps. And I know that's what they mean by that. But look in Hebrews chapter number 2. I want you to notice something about the Lord Jesus Christ. How much He loves you. How much He cares for you. How much He cares for me. Just a couple more verses. Chapter 2 verse 16. For verily... He took not on him the nature of angels, but He took on him the seed of Abraham, meaning He took on humanity. Verse 17, Wherefore in all things it behooved Him to be made like unto His brethren, that He might be a merciful and faithful high priest. So whatever Jesus was going through, it was to make Him more usable in the work of God. And whatever this race and this course that is taking you, it's not to destroy you, it's to develop you. And it's to make you better. And it's to make you more perfect. And it's to make you more like Him. And the Bible says in verse number 17, that He reconciled us, of course, to God for our sins. Uh, he made reconciliation. But in verse 18. For in that He Himself hath suffered... Being tempted, He is able to succor them that are tempted. That means to run to your aid, come to your help, and literally be there when you need Him the most if you will look unto Him. Do you call upon Him? Do you bow your knee before Him? One more place and let's pray. Hebrews 10, I didn't mean to skip over this verse, forgive me. Hebrews 10 verse 35. Let's read these verses and I promise you we're done. As I was reading through these things about marathons, they said here's some things you need to do and not do. Just three of them. Number one, keep your head up. He said it impacts you physically and mentally. They said keeping your head down dampens your spirit. You find yourself with your head hanging? Think about that. What it does to you. He said, have support. No matter how independent you are, it helps to have supporters to encourage you along the way. Stay in church. Don't fall out by the wayside. Two are better than one. One falls, the other one can help pick him up. When they sent those apostles out, when they sent those missionaries out, it was two by two or more. Don't try to run this thing all by yourself. And then number three will stay focused. Encourage yourself along the way. Encourage yourself in the Lord so that you might stay on course. Look at Hebrews 10 with me and I'm done. Verse 35. He says, Cast not away therefore your confidence. Listen, my confidence is not in me, but it's in Him. And I don't want to lose that confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. And if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. Remember what John wrote? You remember what He said, He said, they went out from us because they were not of us. He said, for no doubt, had they been of us, they would have continued with us. He said, verse 39, But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe for the saving of the soul. Wow. This morning, if you are growing weary Maybe you've gotten off track. The best place to get back on track is where you've got off track, if possible. Which means you're going to have to turn and say, God, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be in this position, I shouldn't be out of church, I shouldn't be lagging behind. And Lord, I'm discouraged, I'm disappointed, and I've quit looking unto you, and I want you to forgive me. I need grace to help in time of need. And every once in a while you might even need to cast that burden upon the Lord or even share that burden with a brother and help him bear your burden. Did you know that once in a while, now listen, don't tell everybody your troubles because everybody doesn't care. But God will give you one or two people who love you and will pray for you that you can share your burden with and did you know even talking about it helps you to even assess it in your own heart and mind. And yet, believe this or not, when you start telling somebody about how bad things are going in your life and what burdens you are bearing, when, once you put it out there on display and you get it out of the heart and you speak it and you put it on display for you to look at, while you'll look at yourself and say, you know what, you're just a big sissy. But in reality, you're not. You're not. And it takes some humility to be honest with someone and make yourself vulnerable. But that brother, he's not going to take it and broadcast it. He's going to take it to the prayer closet and bring it before God and lift you up in prayer. And you'll find yourself having confessed that and then them confessing you before the Father, your mindset will get better. Your spirit will change. And you'll, and without even realizing it, it's nothing but the grace of God that is coming upon you to help you in your time of need. Let's stand together, please. We're going to have a short invitation, but I pray that you'd stay with me for just a little while after service to get your picture. But this is more important than a picture. I pray that if God's spoken to your heart, you just need some grace to endure what you're going through. Bow your knee before Him. Look unto Jesus. Father, I pray Your will be done in this invitation. May You be glorified in it. Help our dear saints to receive the Word of God and to believe it in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed. May You obey the Lord, please.